Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Pline and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. You're giggling at me. I know. <laughs> you rolled your eyes after the fact. Yes. I. It just, it's going to go together. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I just like that your facial expressions are so dramatic when you're doing our <laughs> intro, even though I'm the only one in the world who can see you. It's true. I wonder what I look like when I'm talking to myself. I don't know. And I don't know how to test that. No. And now that I think about it, it's kind of weird to try to test that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that was great. Uh, next week on Crime Crazy. No. Um, so, Diana, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I am also okay. Actually, I'm pretty good. It's almost the end of the summer, which mm-hmm. I realize is sad for a lot of people. But I'm pretty excited. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to also be very, very sad. But, you know, just with yes. work stuff. Like, I'm ready for a little bit of a break. Yeah, you need a break. I, I would like a break. Yeah. Um, and in a couple weeks, it'll be Sophia's birthday. Yay! And I get to go home and see my family. Yay! So, pretty good. Are you doing anything fun in the next couple weeks? We are. Are you? and I are going to England. Ooh! Yeah! That's super exciting. It is exciting. I was starting to make my, uh, you can all go ahead and get ready to laugh, Mm -hmm. my vacation Trello board. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so A Trello should sponsor us and B Trello is amazing and C you are the biggest nerd I've ever met. I feel like we had established that. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. It's not a surprise to anyone. No. But I was starting to think about all the things that Liam and I have talked about doing and uh trying to plot around like days that they're closed and that kind of stuff. And I'm all excited. Yay! We're going to be there for two weeks. I'm not 100% sure how we're going to fit everything in. Yeah, <laughs> you probably aren't. And you'll just have to go back. Well, yeah, that's already going to have to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's so funny. I mean, I guess a vacation Trello board is better than a vacation binder. Like, at least you have I've moved upgraded. into the correct yeah, century. Exactly. I Decade. mean, I... I have my phone. It'll work there. Although now I'm all paranoid because I did once have a phone brick while I was in the UK. Oh. And it was just a real pain in the ass because um, do you know how hard it is to get around without Google Maps? Oh, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> and for me, that would be impossible. I, it was damn near. I actually, <laughs> I was at our office, um, one of our UK offices teaching a class and uh, one of the ladies helped me print directions. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, cause there wasn't an Apple store in the town I was in. It wasn't mm-hmm. in London or anything. Um, so I had to take the train to Reading, which was the nearest Apple store. Wow. <laughs> I don't know where, any, like, <laughs> I don't know where anything is. I don't know what I'm looking for. It's dark. It was quite the adventure. So now my phone is a couple years old and I looked at it this morning. I'm like, should I just replace you before we go? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess that's an option. This is going to be a very expensive week. Um, Well, speaking of, do you have anything you want to tell us in regards to like money? I accept PayPal. To, no. Um. <laughs> it's like the best and smoothest transition ever. Totally. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Crime Crazy is sponsored by Seb Bryce. Woohoo! Courtney Ellis. Woohoo! I get to see and, her tomorrow. Go ahead. Oh, maybe I will come to the office tomorrow. And Dave Hat. Woohoo! Who I threatened to block earlier today. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh also do you know what today is i'm going to answer that for you it's tuesday oh good because no is the answer the okay. actual answer is not i really have no clue what today is i i thought about that as it was halfway out of my mouth um it's the first time we're recording in august oh it is it's still early august it is still early august so I need to tell you about all of our fabulous Patreon supporters. 
A special thank you to Brian Williams. Thank you. Eric Boscana. Thank you. Jess Lee. Thank you. Patty Snow. Thank you. Peg Poole. Thank you. Rebecca Manners. Thank you. And also, thank you, Aaron. Uh, also, thank you, Diana. You're welcome. <laughs> also, we have an awesome somebody who bought us some coffee. <gasps> I love coffee. I love coffee, too. So thank you to Casey Miller for buying us some coffee. Thank you, Casey. Um, and I'm not a creepy person, but I did try to Facebook stalk you based on your email address. And do you own a ranch? No, cattle. Yeah, cattle. They're on a ranch, right? That's not a farm. I don't know why you're asking me. I don't know either. I, all, all I know about you and cows is that they moo loud and they always poop when they're around you. So... <laughs> no, they pooped on me. It's the horses that pee when they're around me. <laughs> Diana has livestock issues, guys. It is something. Uh, yeah, I animals are very free around me. <laughs> well, thank you to all of those awesome people. Yes, thank you so much. So we don't have any reviews to shout out this week, but I do have a challenge. Ooh, for me? No. Oh, okay. For our listeners. All right. I want for my late summer present. You can't think of an occasion. I can't. There are no holidays in August. It's a very dull month. <laughs> for Sophia's fourth birthday. For Sophia's fourth birthday. Do you know what I want? What do you want for Sophia's I, fourth birthday? And I'm sure Sophia would be on board with this if she understood what I'm about to say. I want to get us to a thousand Instagram followers. Oh my goodness. That mm -hmm. sounds ambitious. Are we kind of close? Um, We're getting there. I'm actually looking right now because I know we got a couple more today. We are at... I hope you say 999. Oh, 947. That's oh actually more than I thought. I thought it was in the uh, upper 800s. Nice. Well, then that is 100% doable. It is 100% doable. So please go to Instagram, follow us. We're lovely. We post great stuff. It's true. Actually, we do post really amazing stuff on Instagram. I mean, I know I'm biased, but like it cracks me up every time. It does. Also, Aaron posted a bunch of pictures from our trip to the House on the Rock last weekend. Yes. It's a real weird time, you guys. Oh, my God. It is a weird, weird thing. So weird. I think I was like still processing it. I think I still am, too. Like, I keep going back and forth between like, man, that was weird. And did I dream that? Right. Yeah, it was a real weird time. It was. I actually would love to hear other people's House on the Rock stories. Oh, like yes. With the number of listeners we have, somebody else has been, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, if you've been I, to I House on the Rock, yeah, tell us all about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I talked to one of our coworkers today. I gave him a postcard. Mm hmm And he came over to say, like, what the hell? And it was just a photo from inside the house. And so I was like, oh, my God, let me tell you about this place. And I'm going through and I was like, so there's this carousel. And but it's not this one. This one's the doll carousel. And he looks at me. He goes, that's going to be a nope from me. And like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a nope for me, too. <laughs> it was something. It was. Wow. It was. It was. The whole place is just crazy pants. So I imagine that you learned things while we were there. I, know I did. I am now questioning everything. I um, learned so many things. <laughs> did you learn anything for our episode? Um, I did, but it is unrelated to the House on the Rock. I, that's probably better. Ooh, although we did learn, uh, but you already knew this because you were there, that the house we stayed in last weekend is one of the six possible birth spots of mm. Frank Lloyd Wright. It is true. Apparently so now you've nobody narrowed knows. it down to six for all of our listeners who are stalking us. Mm. We're not there now, but, you know, that's okay. That's true. It's a great house. You should check it out on BRBO. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what I learned, this actually popped up on my Facebook uh, the day after we recorded the last episode. Okay. And since it's related, I had to share it with you. Our friend John Dillinger is going to be exhumed. Why? Well, there's always been a theory that John Dillinger was not the one that was shot outside the Biograph Theater in Chicago in 1934. Um, These days, that theory is mostly held by the descendants of Dillinger's half-siblings. Okay. And their proof includes information from the post... God, this is a hard word. Post-mortem exam. Okay. So they say that the eyes of the corpse were one color and the eyes of John Dillinger were another color. Oh. But that can change after death. What? Yeah. Your eyes can darken and kind of change. Like, they're not going to go from, like, brown to blue. Okay. But they could darken enough that they might look, like, brownish. And what they were saying, his eyes were like hazel and then they were brown well that's totally reasonable gotcha okay um the fingerprints of the corpse did not match those that were on file for dillinger Mm. but he was known to have attempted and at least been partially successful at burning them off with acid oh my god the corpse's ears were different than dillinger's ears ears I don't think I can identify anyone by their ears. Oh, I can. What? When the day Liam was born, the first thing I noticed about him is that he had my grandpa's ears. That's okay. I don't really pay that much attention to anyone's (laughs) ears. My grandpa had no hair. Okay. All right. Um, Also, when my mom became a citizen, she, uh, the picture for her, paperwork uh-huh. she had to actually tuck all of her hair behind her ears and the picture is taken at the angle so that you get kind of a full front and a and a profile and it shows the ear very clearly because most people that go through plastic surgery to try to hide their identity don't mess yeah. with their ears right well and i know like ear prints are supposed to be a thing yeah i don't know how much they're being used no well i mean it's a weird like under what circumstances are you pressing your ears up against <laughs> right that too <laughs> but i i hear that they're like relatively unique or yeah maybe a lot unique i don't know that's i don't okay, know that's interesting so are they gonna dna test when they exhume oh but wait there's more oh um so they say that the ears were different but he was known to have had plastic surgery on his ears while he was on the lamb just his ears um, no, there were some other plastic surgeries going along with it, but apparently at that time, altering the ears was very common for criminals. Weird. Yeah. Yep. And the autopsy showed that the corpse had a heart condition, uh, that looked like it might've been like congenital or early onset and Dillinger wasn't known to have any problems with his heart, but you know, there's no way that a heart defect could have been undetected in the beginning of the 20th century. Right, right. So basically, is the family paying for this? Like, why are we doing this? The History Channel is paying for it. Oh, of course they are. So this all seems like some sort of publicity stunt on the parts of people that happen to have a famous relative, and they do. Uh, The permit for exhumation was granted, and it's expected to take place along with the reburial on September 16th of this year. They're going to have a hard time, though. John Dillinger's father, John Wilson Dillinger, had Dillinger reburied a few days after the first time to make sure nobody could get to his body. Oh, no. The family had already received offers that if they allowed his body to be taken on tour, and they were afraid of grave robbers. When Dillinger was reburied, it was under a protective cap of scrap iron and concrete and topped by four reinforced concrete slabs. Oh my god. According like H. H. Holmes. Yeah. According to Susan Sutton, a historian with the Indiana Historical Society, they're gonna have a hard time getting through that. Yeah. Can they dig around? I don't know. I mean it's the history channel, they'll pay whatever it is. But so the fact that he was buried like that tells me it's him in there. 
Um, The other thing that struck me is just shady. This is the same shit that H.H. Holmes' great-grandson did. Like, oh, no, it's not him in there. Maybe he's the Ripper. Let's let's dig him up for a TV show and see what we see. Yeah. That's all this is. Yeah. And, you know, all of their things. Like, I'm not a... I'm not a doctorologist. I'm not a lawyerologist. Like, I don't know fucking anything. But all of these things are totally reasonable. The guy went on record. He's like, had my ears done. We knew he's burned his finger with acid. There are medical records. There are doctors that talked about it. Like, all of this shit is just basic. Yeah. It's just a money grab. It's aggravating. I mean... Mostly because I don't have any famous relatives to exploit. (laughs) (laughs) okay fair fair that's awesome yeah so that is what i learned uh actually last week nice because we had a rough time with last episode we yes oh my gosh we so did i'm sorry guys about that i never did figure out what happened Um, And it's not important, but I just want you to know that it wasn't an editing error. It was some sort of like processing error that kept happening over and over again, which is why I didn't get to level out the voices in the end. Because if I ran it through that program, if I saved it in the right format to run it through the program, then it, it put back in a bunch of audio that I had cut out and was no longer there. It was very strange. What the hell? I have no idea. There was some sort of issue with the... With the program. And then um, somebody in my family stepped on the podcasting computer. So I now have a new podcasting computer. It's been a week, guys. Yeah. Maybe we should stop touching things. Right? Well, no. You didn't touch your computer. I didn't touch the computer. And I didn't do anything wrong to the file. I think it just... Something weird. Maybe it was ghosts. Could be. Never know. It's like preemptive haunting from our weekend. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So, Erin. So, Diana. Do you have a story for me? I do. I do have a story for you. I have a story. Actually, it's a really long story, though. What? It is. It's really, really long. And so, I'm going to split it into pieces. Um but before, so basically I'm going to, I'm going to do it in three episodes. Yay, it's our first multi-part format. story. I know. Um, so yeah, we'll try a new format, split it into a couple episodes because I want to give some real time to um, the victims and the theories and all of that kind of thing. The other new thing, and I'll just tell you right off the bat so that no one is pissed at me in three weeks, um, it's <laughs> unsolved. Which I normally do not do because that pisses me off. Yes. Um, But this one is not solved, although I am going to spend a whole episode going through theories and suspects and possible explanations and all of that good stuff. Um, And then the other thing is it is a repeat of a story I've already told on this (laughs) podcast. Actually, Jordan told it. So that's a lie. We have already told on this podcast. So all different things. Um, but I'm going to tell you. all the rules. All the rules. Are there rules? I don't think there are rules. Obviously there are rules. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story of the Colonial Parkway murders. Ooh. So... If you have been, and not you, Diana, but you, the listener, um, following us since the very beginning, you will know that this was a story that Jordan covered in our very first episode. And um, it is an important story. It was an important story to both of us. It's an especially important story to me because I'm older than she is. And so it was Uh a little closer. I know. Um, but also it was a local crime. It was something that we grew up hearing about, especially when we got around driving age and like we would be on the Colonial Parkway. That was, that was something that people warned you about. This might happen. This might happen. Don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so it was just always sort of top of mind or at least always in the back of our minds. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other real connection 
that I feel like I have with it is that some of the at least one of the victims was from the town I was from which was Gloucester and um and the family is still there and so they're it's, it's a pretty small place. Everyone kind of knows everyone. My youngest sister went to school with the niece of one of the victims. Like it's a whole, a whole thing. So it's very important to me. Um, and I actually got the chance to speak with the brother of one of the victims. And I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and he was a lovely human and so supportive and helpful. And he's been such a, uh, I don't even know what, like he's been such, not an activist, but trying to get the word out about this case, trying to keep it in the public eye, trying to keep it on the FBI and the state police and the local police and the park rangers radar and mm-hmm. um, really pushing because as we'll talk about in a couple episodes, there are some developments and some avenues for more investigation that no one has taken. <sighs> so, um, the other thing about this before I start um, is that it is not a case where brilliant detective work solves the crime. It's more the case where everyone involved fucks up. I'm shocked. Shocked. I know. So that's going to be super, super frustrating. Um, okay. So. I'm going to sort of set the scene. I grew up in Gloucester, Virginia. I lived there my whole life. It is very small. Gloucester is near Richmond, Virginia. It's on the coast. Um, It is all, everything in that area is all rivers and bays. If you go a little bit south, you get to the ocean. Um, It is a lot of land and space, but not a ton of people. And even when you drive over the river, over the Coleman Bridge, you and get to like the city in air quotes, it is still not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's especially compared to like even, you know, where we are now in the Twin Cities. Um, and at the time of these murders, which was about 30 years ago, it was even more rural and so more kind of tight-knit and smaller communities Mm -hmm. um and it was here that kathleen thomas and rebecca ann dowski grew up so they didn't live in gloucester they lived across the river where all of these other sort of larger cities um are connected by the Colonial Parkway, which we'll talk about in a minute. So Kathleen Thomas was 27 years old in 1986, and she was a U.S. Naval Academy graduate and um, had been the the class of 81. So she had graduated a couple of years ago, a handful of years ago. Um, And she was very dependable and... um, one of these people that like she just always did her best at her job she was a really good person Mm -hmm. the one thing that I think people if they all knew would have been shocked by was that she was gay which for relatively rural Virginia and 1980s is you know not something that you wanted to share a whole lot of especially if you were in the Navy yeah in the military yeah And a woman in the military. Right. Um, But her family knew. She had to be very careful that, you know, no one at work or very only certain people at work could find out. Um, But she was pretty confident in herself and like open with her family. And um, her ex-girlfriend, who she was still friendly with, had recently introduced her to Rebecca. So Rebecca Andowski, who sometimes went by Becky, was 21. She was a senior at William at the College of William and Mary, which is in Williamsburg, and actually it's where my husband went to school. Oh. Um, and he'll tell you it was founded in the 16 blah 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 blah. They're all very excited about the history <laughs> over there. So on October 11th, 1986, Kathy came and picked up uh, Rebecca and from campus, and they left for fall break. And the Dowski family, Rebecca's family, didn't know anything about Kathy. I'm not sure whether they knew that she was gay at all, mm-hmm. but they didn't know either way about her girlfriend. Um, but 
at least Bill, who was the brother that I actually spoke to on the phone, um, and his family knew about Rebecca, and they were excited to get a chance to meet her over the break. So Kathy and Rebecca drove away in Kathy's white 1980 Honda Civic. The next morning, a jogger found their car at the Cheetah Annex Overlook on the Colonial Parkway in Williamsburg, Virginia. So a little bit about the parkway. Because it features a lot in the Parkway Murders, as you might suspect. (laughs) By the name. Right? It is the narrowest national park in the country. It is 23 miles long, and it connects the three points of the historic triangle. So there's Jamestown, and then Williamsburg, and then Yorktown, which are all names that you should remember from your, like, fifth grade history class. Mm Mm-hmm. So the parkway is a cobblestone road that's three lanes wide. It is unpainted. And so the only way you can tell there are lanes is that there are, are like um, like slabs of cobblestone laid down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I don't even mean cobblestone. I mean um, like aggregate, like um, the orange oh. little tiny aggregate's not the right word. What am I trying to say? I Add it to the list. I don't know anything about roads. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, okay, so the orange, the little tiny rocks in the kind of orange cementy stuff road. It's really pretty. Okay, <laughs> um, I don't think we have those here. It's laid down in like uh, strips. And so there's a tiny bit of space in between them for all the expansion and contraction of the weather and all that good stuff. And so you can tell it's three lanes. It's co- totally unpainted. Um, it is unlit. It's very like they wanted it to be driving along the river and driving through the woods and as little like man-made or modern stuff as possible. Uh, The speed limit is really low. It's like 45 miles an hour at max, but you never get to go that fast because it's sort of a Sunday drive kind of road Mm -hmm. where there are always locals or tourists, usually tourists, driving like 25 miles an hour down the fucking road and you can't go around them because it's three lanes long and you never get to pass. (laughs) I've driven on it a lot. It's actually very lovely, although it, it makes the car vibrate in such a way that like it just puts me right to sleep. I'm a better passenger than a driver on that road. So there are all of these scenic outlooks along the road. And there are trees that were like specifically planted along and it like just to make it all gorgeous. Um, There's about one week in Virginia where it's fall. Yeah. And during that break, it, it or during that like week, it is just this amazing, breathtaking color. It's great. Um, And then every once in a while, as you're driving along, you'll get a glimpse of the York River that kind of runs parallel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And over the York River, there is the Coleman Bridge. So it's the, I think it's Henry P. or George P. Coleman Memorial Bridge. He was the guy who designed the bridge, I think. And (laughs) it is... No, I know. It was really disappointing. I researched it at one point. I was like, I'm going to find out who this George P. Coleman person is. He must be so important. And I think it was like his idea to build a bridge. (laughs) So it is the largest double swing span drawbridge in the country. And the second largest in the world. Um, I think the largest one is in Egypt. So it is a drawbridge, but it doesn't go up. It goes side to side. So one side of the bridge goes to the left and the other goes to the right. And it opens up because it has to let mostly naval ships and submarines through, but sometimes some larger ships. Um, There are sailboats out there all the time because it is very rarely cold in Virginia um, and or in this part of Virginia. And um, there are occasionally like dolphins there are swimmers it's like just the most picturesque and peaceful place in that whole area it sounds amazing yeah not so much on the morning of october 11th 1986 however october 12th actually so on this day they found the car um it was driven like partially over an embankment toward the river. Mm-hmm. So when the police first got there, they said they thought that it was a, an accident site and that there were maybe people trapped in the car that they could help. And so they smashed open the windows and tried to get in to get the people out. Um, but 
what they found was that it was not an accident site. It was a murder site. They found both of the girls in the car. They had been bound and strangled. They had all sorts of rope burn and, and bruising on their hands and their feet mm-hmm. and their necks. Their throats had been cut from ear to ear. Oh. Kathy's had been cut so deeply that she was almost completely decapitated. Oh, God. Yep. So Rebecca was in the back seat of the car. And then Kathleen, who was presumably the driver because it was her car, was in the trunk. So it's like a hatchback. Mm-hmm. And she was in that, like, hatch part. Um, and then... It seem like it's enough room for a person. Um, I mean, it was pretty, pretty big car. And she wasn't, like, lounging. <laughs> well, yeah. So then someone presumably the killer, had dumped diesel fuel all over the girls. And they thought it was probably an attempt to burn away evidence. Like, I'm going to dump fuel on them. I'm going to light them on fire. The car is going to go up in flames. No one will ever know I was here. Um, There were burnt cigarettes. Like, the killers had maybe tried to light the diesel that way. I don't know if you know anything about diesel. I know I should not put it in my car. That is true. Also, you cannot light it with a cigarette. In fact, you can't light it with an open flame. It just doesn't work that way. So in order for diesel to ignite, it all of all gasoline has to, the part that actually burns is like what's evaporating off of it, right? The gas. Right. Um, diesel's gas that evaporates off of it has a very high flash point. So it has to be very, very hot before it will ignite. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah. So you can't light it. I mean, you can't stick a cigarette in the liquid to light it period and you start and then you also can't even ignite the the fumes so that didn't work they were just covered in about five gallons of diesel uh they were clothed nothing had been taken there wasn't any evidence that they had been sexually assaulted um but they did think that the car was probably a secondary scene and not the actual scene of the murder because there wasn't enough blood in the vehicle And the position of the bodies suggests that they were, like, put back in the car after they were dead. They probably weren't in the backseat and the the trunk, essentially. Right. That's not where they were driving. So one sort of theory that the police officers came to is that the murderer put the the girls in the car and then tried to push it over the embankment into the river. And it didn't work. It got stuck on the way down. And so he had to change his plans. He was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just cover them in fuel and burn the whole thing away. And then there won't be any evidence of me. And, you know, maybe they'll even think that the car caught fire when it crashed and it burned up and they won't even find any evidence of the murder. Like if I can burn the bodies all the way away, not, not an issue. Um, Yeah. That seems like a super logical plan. I mean, the whole thing is kind of a super (laughs) logical plan. Um. So he did leave behind a ton of evidence because none of that worked. And I say he just, we'll talk about that in a couple of episodes, but generally speaking, serial killers, men, yeah, especially serial killers who have like violent murders, men. Um, so there's a lot of evidence. They, there was the failed arson attempt with all of the diesel fuel, which we'll talk about later about what that might mean for the area and like who would likely have diesel fuel with them. Mm. Um, He also left behind hair. Kathleen pulled hair out of his head. The cigarette butts that were collected at the scene probably also had DNA on them because they had been smoked. Mm -hmm. Um, They found a portion of the rope that the girls had been bound with. It was left in the car and they tested it and it had brine in it, which is like a mix of salty ocean and river water. And it only occurs in parts of the York River where like the, the flow of the water brings it directly in from the bay. Are you sure um, it wasn't just soaked in a pickle jar? Not that kind of brine, Diana, but mm. I know you love pickles. I do love pickles. That was actually what I thought. It didn't even occur to me that it could be seawater. I was thinking, why would you have rope in a pickle barrel? <laughs> um, so it was pickled rope. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that could be an artisanal trend at some point. <laughs> I guess. What would you do with it? I don't know. So, of course, none of this was actually tested in the late 80s, right? They didn't test for the DNA. They didn't um, test the hair. They 
didn't even test the brine. Like that was all tested later. It was in 2010 that the FBI finally sent items away for analysis. Um, so in 2010, which we'll talk about at some point too, they, um, there was sort of a, a revival of the case a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, they published a ton of articles and there was some other stuff that was going on that, that brought it all back into the public eye and then into law enforcement's view again as well. Um, So there are some disagreements around the timeline of the event, which was something that I actually learned researching it this time. I've read I've read a couple books. One of them and I one of them that is probably the best nonfiction account that you can get. So the closest to true Mm -hmm. is called A Special Kind of Evil. Um, And it's written by an investigative journalist and his daughter who went out and like really researched and talked to families and he also has a bunch of articles online that he did that was like a series of articles around the time that they were publishing the book and it's like it's a really lovely read my favorite part was how wonderfully they talked about the victims and like really really focused on them and their stories and their lives and how they got to where they were and not so much on the murderer Mm -hmm. um i mean in part because no clue who that is. Right. But um, there are some inaccuracies, but it's still a really good read. Anyway. Um, so one of the things I talked about was Kathleen Thomas was supposed to be at work on the morning of October the 10th. And it was really unusual for her to not show up to work or to even be late or to even call out. And like showing up without calling out, never, never a thing. Right. So her family knew this and they really believe that she had to have been killed on October the 9th because otherwise she would have been at work on October the 10th. Yeah. But for some reason with the, the timeline investigators believed that the murders occurred either late the night of the 10th or early the morning of the 11th. So earlier when I said that they left campus on the 11th, what I meant was they were found on the 11th. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay, so the second disagreement was around an initial person of interest. And this one is, is mostly, like, not an issue any longer. Mm-hmm. But Kathy's former partner was who the police looked at first, which really makes no sense. For one thing, she introduced her to Rebecca. Obviously, she was cool with the fact they were broken up. Otherwise, why would you introduce the girl that you wanted to be with to another girl that you thought she might like? Right, but from a purely statistical standpoint of women who get murdered, it's yes. the X. That is true. <laughs> but that is, generally speaking, when the X is a man. And in this case, uh, the murderer was almost definitely a man. Right, but I am guessing that people in that part of Virginia in 1980, what have you, were not super liberal about the fact that it was two women together. Um, yeah, I'm going to guess they're probably still not. Well, generally speaking, I will rely on your expertise about that. (laughs) (laughs) So the evidence that really suggests that the murderer or murderers, which has also always been a possibility is that it was more than one person is male, um, or a couple of things. So there had to have been weapons that were brought to the scene. Mm-hmm. And they believe the weapons, they know a rope and a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, they think there was probably likely also a gun just because there was no real sign of a struggle. And like there weren't defensive wounds or anything like that. Kathy was in the Navy. Like she knew how to kick someone's ass. It wasn't like she was going to just let them murder her. Right. Um, and so they think that probably like a gun was held on them. They were threatened. Um, even though they didn't find any evidence of that. And those are all sort of typical of male assailants. Yep. These up close and personal and bloody, messy kinds of weapons. Also, the bodies, they're reasonably certain were moved, probably after they were dead, right? When they were mm-hmm. shoved into the car in these weird positions. Um, and both of the women were tied tightly enough to leave marks. And then both of their throats were sliced with just tremendous force. So much, you know, that Kathleen was like all the way through. Yeah. Um, And all of that would take a lot of upper body strength that typically women don't have. Mm -hmm. And so probably men. Yeah. So those are the first victims. The second victims were another couple. Um, On September 19th, 
1987. David Nobling, who was 20 years old, had agreed to go out with his cousin and his brother, and then his brother's friend, Robin Edwards, who was 14, who was a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going to go see a movie, but depending on what you read, I think that they changed their minds and then went to the arcade instead and did never actually go to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't really matter. On the way home, they were in David's black pickup truck. And so, of course, just two seats. So Robin rode in the cab with David, mostly because she was a little girl and it was raining. Mm-hmm. And the cousin and the brother were in the bed of the truck. And this was significant because it was the only time the entire evening when the brother and the cousin weren't with Robin and David. And it was the first time that Robin and David had ever met. And so it was like this 15 minute ride was the only time when they could have talked about anything or, you know, had any sort of relationship building or anything mm-hmm. that, that other people weren't aware of. Right. Um, so David took everybody home. He dropped everyone off. Robin got dropped off, dropped off a little after 11. He went back to his place. He ordered pizza. He watched TV. And then in the middle of the night, for some reason, he left his house and he drove back and he picked up Robin, who had snuck out of her house. But nobody knows what that was about because this was the first time they had met. She was much, much younger than him. Right. It is worth saying that Robin was somebody who some of the articles I read were really cruel in the way that they described her. But I think she was kind of a troublemaker. Like she didn't listen very well. She was very um, outgoing and, you know, maybe a little bit misbehaved. I. She was like a. I don't know. A strong, independent woman. No. Absolutely. <laughs> woman that knew her own mind. That's right. But it wasn't unusual for her to do things like sneak out or run away or date much older boys or, you know, get into trouble or go places she wasn't allowed to go and that kind of thing. Her family wasn't surprised that this happened. Um, and even, and, and they didn't seem upset too. That was the other thing that was really interesting because it was later theorized that like maybe he picked her up so they could go make out or have sex. And I get that obviously they're victims in this case. And so there's much worse shit coming. Right. But as a mom of a little girl, like my 14 year old went out with a 20 year old, this would be a problem for me. Yeah. But I guess it was either just so normal or so overshadowed by the horrific things that happened next or whatever that it didn't matter. I And I think that's probably it, right? It, you know, it, when you go through a horrific event like that, there's some shit you just let go. And yeah. your daughter's just been murdered after she snuck out to go make out with a 20-year-old. Well, that's upsetting, but she is dead. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, and I, I feel like when I was growing up, and it was after this, mm-hmm. I was only just barely born when this stuff happened. <laughs> I know you were in your like late 80s, but I was only barely born. <laughs> um, I just feel like there wasn't that much of a stigma in the area, in the time of of the big age difference. Yeah. I mean, I would consider this age difference to be a real problem. <laughs> but Right. I feel like it would I don't know. That people wouldn't be immediately calling the cops on this kind of thing. <sighs> so I- the other part though that is upsetting that I didn't mention is that David had a girlfriend and David's girlfriend was pregnant and I think she had just recently told him and I'm trying to remember because it wasn't in one of the articles that I read when I was like writing up all of my research but I think I don't know if they were broken up or if like he left because he didn't know how to like they I don't think they were like about to get married and raise a baby together. And so he would have been cheating on her. I think it was more like, oh my God, you're what? Okay, I have to figure this out. You know, right. and there was some conflict there. But 
I don't know. It really doesn't make any difference because we'll never know what it is that they were out doing. I mean, it could have been that Robin was like, hey, I got home and my parents were being total assholes. I don't know that they're assholes, but she was 14. So probably right. that's how she felt. Yeah. Um, I ran away. If you don't come get me, I'm just going to wander the streets in the middle of the night. And then David went out and got her because he was a good guy. Right. You know, could have been totally innocent. But anyway, so he picked her up. Early the next morning, his black Ford Ranger pickup was found in a parking area next to the James River Bridge in an area known as Ragged Island, which is like a real rough area, um, both physically and like has rough crowds there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, crowds meaning like three people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rough trio over there. <laughs> it's a rough trio in that area. The... <laughs> The windshield wipers and the radio were both on. The keys were in the ignition. The driver's window was slightly down and the driver's door was open. And inside the vehicle, there was a lot of clothing, including at least three shoes. One article I read said that all of their shoes were in there. And one of them made a really big deal out of the fact that only one of Robin's shoes was in there. Hmm. Um. The deputy who, like, responded to the truck being there thought that the driver must have just stepped away and left the vehicle running. And so he just turned it off. But the driver didn't come back. Also, there are so many clothes and shoes. And you don't just strip down and take one of your shoes to go wander out in the fucking woods. And leave your car running with the window down. And well, the radio on. And they must not have been gone that long if the lights were still on. Um, With the door open and the radio going, like, my car couldn't make it through maybe. the night. So. on Well, although if the engine was still on, I guess that gives you a lot more time. Because the battery won't die until after the engine does. Fast. Right. And like yours would have had all the lights on inside and like there's a lot more electric in your car than there would have that's been true this. that's true i forget we're in the 80s here yeah i i don't i don't know that that was necessarily like the the first although that is a good point there definitely couldn't have been days discrepancy here My, uh, there wasn't anyway because right. they, they had seen them the night before but my first car was a 1987 this one was older than that. <laughs> well, yeah, because my car was new that year. Yeah. <laughs> this one I don't think was. Um, so the driver obviously never returned. Later that day, David's family noticed that he wasn't there. So like that morning when they woke up and he wasn't there and they were like, okay, so he was definitely here last night. His truck's gone. Like we're concerned. Eventually they reported him missing. And since nobody knew that David and Robin had been together that night because he left in the middle of the night to go pick her up after she snuck out, no one knew that Robin was involved with this like missing David and the car being found thing at all. Robin's family actually just had assumed that she had run away again and were hoping that she would come back. But they didn't think that she was with David. Like there was no reason for her to think or them to think that she had been with this guy that she had only just casually met in a group the night before did the police not notice that there were two different people's clothes no at this point what the police have done is turned off the ignition good job yes yep so then they treat the car like an abandoned vehicle and they did fingerprint it and then had the car towed to David's father's house. Carl is his name. They weren't terribly concerned about the fact that Carl was like, my kid would never have left his car. He's missing. He was home last night. This is a problem. They just sort of assumed that like he left his car and he'd probably come back. And they did a little bit of searching for him, but not a ton. And in fact... When they were returning the car to Carl's house, um, which I think David actually also lived there. So like to to their house, right? Uh, the Nobbling house. They dropped the fingerprint cards in the driveway 
and did not notice and did not ever retrieve them. What a bunch of stupid fuckers. Oh my God, Diana, let me tell you. What kind Um, of chicky jack half-assed bullshit police (laughs) squad is this? So one of the issues in all of these cases is going to be that it wasn't just a police squad. It was many departments working together because of the area where a lot of these crimes took place, the parkway, because it is federal land, Mm -hmm. because it's a national park. um, It is patrolled by uh, park rangers. Yeah. And like game and wildlife kind of people. And then it is also patrolled by state troopers. And then there are also local cops. And eventually, once they decide that this is a a serial killer and also this is happening, you know, on on federal property, the FBI get involved. Mm -hmm. So it is a ton of people. Um, I would say from what I've read that the park rangers are the ones who ought to probably all be tried for just total negligence and fuck-uppery. But um, (sighs) no one did a stellar job. Unsolved, you say? Yes, surprising. (laughs) So far, we've got hair, we've got spit, we've got um, fingerprints, we've got... Don't know who it is. Um, So, they didn't put a ton of effort into looking for him. Um, But his father, David's father, Carl, did not give up on searching for his son because he knew that there was no way in hell that David left his car running on the side of the road with the door open and the keys in for many reasons, but he never would have done that. Um, And so he continued to search like through the day and night. Mm -hmm. So three days later on the 24th, Carl was out looking for David when a pair of joggers on a beach came like running toward him. They had found a pile of clothes They thought it was just like trash. When they got closer, it was a body. They're like, oh my God, we got to get the cops. There's a body. David's own father went out onto the beach. The body the joggers had found was Robin's. He found David's. Oh, God. Yep. So they'd both been shot to death. They had both been in the water for some time. Robin had a bullet wound directly to her head as if she had been executed. David had a bullet wound to the back of his shoulder. It was from the back and angled down. So they suspect that he was running away and he had stumbled or he had ducked. They shot him. He fell. Then they came up and he also had a bullet wound in his head, just like Robin's. So David's father knew. But before the families could be told, the news reported the name of both victims. So Robin's family was at home waiting to watch a local TV interview on the disappearance of their daughter. And the report came on and announced she'd actually been found on the beach, dead, with a bullet wound in her head, all bloated from the water, blah, blah, blah. And so they found out from the TV that their daughter had been murdered. What hellhole did you escape from? (laughs) It's not, I mean, it's not like this a hundred percent of the time but this was a fucking disaster does that yeah yeah there's there are like i would just like to point out that it wasn't like carl or the police could call from the crime scene and notify the family right but reporters should keep that under their fucking hats until the family's like Report that bodies have been found, whatever. You keep the names until you know the families have been notified. Yeah. You know, I don't watch local news anymore. I don't watch anything. But, yeah, I remember when I used to, they would say, you know, not releasing the name of the victims pending. Yeah, family notification. Family notification. Yep. It's just fucking human decency. Yeah. Not so much in this case. So the investigation was a disaster. Mm. The shoes of the victims, at least three of them, were in the truck. So investigators surely should have concluded that the two people had not gone very far 
and they searched, but in the end, the bodies were discovered less than a mile from the truck. The investigators had pulled the fingerprints from the vehicle before having it towed to the victim's father's house without being thoroughly searched, but then they dropped the cards in the driveway and never recovered them. The people who found the body were not even police officers searching for the body. They were a jogger who was running less than a mile from the scene of the crime and a father, people who should not have been at the crime scene to begin with, certainly shouldn't have had to find two children shot in the head and washed up on a beach. Mm. Plus, by that point, everything had been trampled and touched and messed up and towed and just a total disaster. So one interesting Mm. thing about the investigation and some of the investigations that have happened since is that they believe the vehicle was definitely staged. So one of the reasons that the family knew David was missing the moment they found the truck was that David loved his truck. It was like his pride and joy. It was his thing. And he always backed it into a spot away from the road. He never left it unlocked. Um, He and his brother had actually rewired the truck so that the radio could play without the keys being in at all so that they could listen to music without the car being turned on. And um, if the goal had been music and that's why like the car was running and the radio was on, David would have known that he didn't need to have the keys in the ignition. He didn't need to have the wipers going. He didn't, you know, he wouldn't have done that. Um, And so investigators have since concluded that probably the killer staged the truck that way in order to encourage somebody to steal it, hoping that the evidence would just drive away with somebody else, or maybe they can implicate someone else in the crime. Well, it's a little smarter than the last plan. Yes. I mean, the last plan clearly didn't work. This one at least, like, kind of makes sense. Right. Not a lot more, but a little a little more. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of clever. Yeah. Like if you could get someone to drive away with it at the very least, you've ensured that the crime scene is corrupted and, you know, yeah. a good defense attorney should you ever be caught could argue all kinds of things in your favor and Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, and I don't know that this person was necessarily thinking of all of those things cuz as we established with the first murder, Assuming that they're connected, um, that, you know, that's not, not, thinking's not the strong point. Right. So that's where I'm going to end this first one. But I wanted to say a couple of things. Um, one is that at this point, they didn't connect the crimes at all. Okay. Um, they were in different locations. They were a different kind of couple. One was uh, an older couple. uh, Well, at least Kathy was older, um, who were a lesbian couple. This one was a couple that by all accounts was not a romantic couple, or at least hadn't been hours before. Mm -hmm. Um, They were different methods of killing. The first couple was very hands-on. The second couple, they were shot. Mm -hmm. Um, In both cases, like, the cars were there and they were in sort of the same general area um, where where this um, where the second victims were found is not all that far from the Colonial Parkway but it's not on the Colonial Parkway so like Ragged Island is not a pull off on the parkway okay um you know, all the stuff being left in the car, nobody really got robbed. Whatever. Um, and so, yeah, they weren't necessarily connected at all. Um, and at this point, they um, they didn't have any good suspects. Like, they had looked into the personal families. Um, but, yeah, nothing. Nothing yet. Oh, that's frustrating. It is, it is so frustrating. It just, the more I read about it, it gets more and more and more frustrating. <sighs> so next time preview, I'm going to tell you about the other sets of victims 
that are sometimes all related together in the Colonial Parkway killings. Um, and it's going to be just as frustrating, if not more. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, and then I'll kind of tell you a little bit about where we are today. Uh, and then we can talk about theories and suspects and all of that good stuff. Yay. Yay. It's our first multi-parter. I'm kind of excited. Me too. So, and I like that I get to go even deeper on the case. Like, not only is it only my story this week, but <laughs> <laughs> I also get to talk about, like, who the people were and all the things that happened and the families and the... Yeah. Um, so, and this one's so important to me that, like, yeah, I this, do it justice. This is kind of your I'll begin on the dark case. Very much. Like... All of those um, like podcast groups that we're in on Facebook and that kind of thing, every once in a while, they're like, if you could get 30 seconds to talk to one serial killer, who would it be and what would you ask? And I'm like, obviously, the Colonial Parkway killer and what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think if you only have 30 seconds, you need to refine that a tiny bit. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd you work with? But just being in the room with the Colonial Parkway killer, that would that would be the solve, you know. Well, would, yeah, exactly. I'd be looking at him. So, yeah, this would be this would be the one. It's not like the biggest thing, and it it isn't an ongoing thing where people are still scared, and it it was all stopped at some point. But I just want to know who did it. Yeah. So, so Diana, I haven't even made it to the end of the case, so I feel a little bad <laughs> asking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm going to take it back I'm not asking you anything yet first I would like to give a call to action please can do, I do that? Can yeah. I break? we're breaking all the rules we it's my are. turn we are breaking all the rules um, so <laughs> uh, most of this started it was going to be a single part accurate as I can make it overview of what was going on and you know really really condensed and then I reached out to there's a Facebook group um, that's the Colonial Parkway murder Facebook group and or it's a page and I reached out to them I sent a message and I said hey we want to cover this in our podcast and we want to start doing these calls to action if you could ask people to do one thing like call this number or read this book or um, do this with your loved ones or you know make sure that you always you know do this to be safe or whatever like what would it be mm -hmm. donate money to this cause whatever and instead of an answer I got a phone call with Bill which was delightful um, but one of the things that he said is just spread the word Mm -hmm. that there are cases there's this one certainly and of course that's the one that's important to me and it's a million times more important to him and the other family members but if they go cold like this one has and they fall out of sort of the public's view mm -hmm. then they're not as important to police officers either and the justice system in general and they just don't get solved if everybody involved stops pushing it's easy to set it on the bottom of the pile and get to it when you have time and then it doesn't get solved and so just to talk about it read about it um be upset about it and post that somewhere or say that somewhere so that it still stays in the public mind was his call to action and so with that in mind um i am going to encourage everybody the page is called Colonial Parkway Murders. There is, um, it has like, I don't know, like 7,000 likes or something, which I know they are also working on growing. So that's a great place to start showing your support is just go there and like it. Um, but it's really great. They post all kinds of really cool stuff. It's like one of the most uplifting pages to be on, even though it is about an unsolved murder and maintained by the victim's families and like it mm -hmm. seems like it should be depressing. But what they do is they talk about all of these old cold cases and how they got solved. And usually it's solved through DNA testing um, that, you know, should have happened 20 years ago, but now it finally has and now they know the answer. Um, and so it's it's actually a really happy place. I would encourage you to go and to join their page and like their page and see their updates and, and follow them. Say the name again. 
Colonial Parkway Murders. All right. That is your call to action for this week. That is my call to action. And I think you should follow it up with some really great advice. Call your people. Call your people. Make sure they're okay. If they didn't come home and they're a couple hours late, like call them, check in. Right. Could be that their battery died in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Could be. Never know. Could be. And regardless of where you are in Wisconsin, don't or end elsewhere. up on next week's episode. <laughs>